This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Football Odyssey. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Today's guest is Scott Hansen, the host of the NFL Red Zone Channel. In this episode, Scott tells me about his playing days at Syracuse University, his broadcasting influences, and his experience hosting NFL Red Zone. You can follow Scott Hansen on Twitter at Scott Hansen. And while you're there, reach out to me at the Football Odyssey and let me know what you all think of this interview. With that being said, enjoy the show, everyone. All right, Scott Hansen, welcome to the Football Odyssey. Aaron, good to be with you. Absolutely. I'm happy that you uh, took the time to come on. It's a real honor because I'm a big fan of Red Zone, have been for over a decade, and the product that you and your staff put out there is just top-notch, so I'm grateful that you took the time. Oh, yeah, you got it, man. You got it. Good to talk a little football here in the offseason. Most definitely. I typically like to start the interviews by getting a sense of your personal football journey and a sense of how you were first exposed to the game, when you were first exposed, what drove you to it, and ultimately kind of the presence that it grew to take on in your life. So could you give us a little bit of a background? Yeah, I, I probably have a typical story, I think, that my dad introduced me to football. My dad was a big, big football fan. I grew up in the suburban Detroit, Michigan area. So we had the Detroit Lions on the TV on Sundays. We had the Michigan Wolverines on the on the TV on Saturdays. And from from some of my earliest memories, I remember my dad getting all worked up about watching this game on TV and thinking, wow, if it, you know, if it excites and moves my dad that much, maybe I better pay attention to it. And he taught me the game and used to go out in the backyard and throw the football around with my brother and I, and uh, I grew to love it. I grew to love it, and as soon as I was old enough to play it, I started playing flag football. I was a terror in flag football, by the way. Averaged, like, I averaged like six sacks a game on defense because nobody knew what they were doing when we were little kids running around and everything. And I recently looked back at some old videotape of – my dad had an old, old video camera of me playing flag football. And I was like, dang, I could actually play. I was, I was not half bad. My dad didn't want me to play tackle football until my body had matured a little bit. So I wasn't allowed to play tackle until eighth grade. And in eighth grade, I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. So this was 1984. We won our our championship and the the champions from different regions of the area of Michigan we were playing in if mm. you won your 8th grade championship got to play a special exhibition game at the end of the season in the Pontiac Silverdome which was the Lions stadium back in that day so for being an 8th grade kid and putting on helmets and shoulder pads and popping pads for real for the first time to winning a championship with that group of guys and going and playing in the Pontiac Silverdome, which we were, we must've looked like the kids from Hoosiers. If you saw that old basketball movie, when they go into the big gym at the end, you know, like, wow, you know, and everything else. And 
it was it was just fantastic. And then later on, when I knew I wasn't going to be a great a great player like an NFL player, I said, "Those guys on TV sound like they're having a fun time talking about the game. So let me see if I can make a living out of doing that." And I played football through high school. I was captain of the team and all conference, good player in high school, but not not great, not all state, not elite. And then I probably if I wanted to go play college, I would have played division three football. That was about my talent level. Okay. But I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. And so I, I did some research with my dad and we discovered that Syracuse University had one of the great broadcast journalism programs in the country certainly for sportscasters. So I went to Syracuse for school and I still had the football in my blood and decided to walk on the football team at Syracuse. And uh, I made it on the team and and played there for four years. And it was an unbelievable experience to play big time college football. What position did you play? Yeah. So what got me on the team when I went for the tryout as a walk-on was long snapping, believe it or not. I was a lineman in high school. I weighed about 235 pounds at my heaviest. And I knew I couldn't be a, a lineman in Division I college weighing 235. So, but I still had that skill of long snapping. And so I walked on the team and I'm like, I'll do whatever you want me to, but my specialty is long snapping. And they they watched me snap. There's actually a funny story of we had this was when freshmen used to report to training camp in college a few days, maybe almost a week before the upperclassmen showed up. And so they had all their scholarship freshmen show up and then any prospective walk-ons as well. And we had four days of practice with no upperclassmen around. So it was just these true freshmen coming in. And for me, it was a four-day tryout. And you know, they're doing all these different drills and stuff. And I was kind of a man without a position because I was I was the size of a running back or a wide receiver or a defensive back. But that wasn't my position. And I was just waiting to show that I could long snap. Well, finally, like on the third or fourth day of this four-day tryout, they said, okay, we're doing specialists. If you think you can be a punt returner, go over here. If you think you can be a kick returner, go over here. If you think you can be a holder, go over here. If you think you can be a snapper, go over here. And I'm like, all right, this is my time. And I went over into the line of snappers, only two or three of us that wanted to try and show we could snap. Right. And then they had all the holders. We were doing uh, PAT field goal, so seven-yard snap at that point. Mm-hmm. And – I was snapping them. There was a bunch of holders. There was like five or six guys, and they were wide receivers, defensive backs. Uh, one of our quarterbacks wanted to do it. I was so keyed up. I was snapping it through their hands. Wow. It was, I mean, it was a spiral, and it was on the on the money, but they couldn't catch it, okay? And finally, the coach who was running that drill got all hacked off at these holders, like, catch a ball and put it down. Hanson's putting it down there. And he grabbed the last holder and pulled him off the ground. And he said, I got to see this myself. And he got down there as the holder and he put his hand out there for me to shoot it in. And I rifled it through his hands. (laughs) And he looked up uh, Dick McPherson, the legendary Syracuse coach, 
was was my coach for my first two years. He used to stay in this tower and watch practice, about a 20-foot tower that he would climb up in to be able to see over all the practice fields. And this coach stood up and looked up at, at Dick McPherson and said, Coach Mack, Hanson came here to snap like that because he couldn't believe like I was firing it through. And so that overcame my lack of athleticism, my lack of Division I athleticism. And I, I made it on the team and ended up being, being there not for four days, but for four years and had some great, great experiences. But oh, that's oh, to answer the rest of your question, so, you know, I never – I was like Rudy, okay? Mm-hmm. I was like Rudy without the glorified sack at the end of my senior year. I was a practice squad guy. I was on the scout team all four years of my playing there. When I was a senior – the freshmen would come in and I'd still be on the scout team. But the coaches came to know that I was a guy that was going to go 100% all the time. I had, you know, the best attitude. I tried to be the smartest football brain that was mm-hmm. on the field because I wasn't running a 4-4. I wasn't 6-5. I wasn't 250. So I tried to add value where I could. And they moved me all over the place. I played wide receiver and defensive back on the scout team. I played – I mean, you name it. I see. I think I played it. They they would put me up at the line at sometimes if they, you know, and they didn't care if I got hurt. That was the other catch. They didn't want to hurt some of their scholarship guys. Not that they were trying to hurt me, but mm-hmm. I'll give you for instance, like if they did a, we were doing a trapping drill, right? So mm-hmm. it was a drill for the offensive guards mostly, just to take a snap, quick step, and down the line and trap a defensive tackle shooting across the line of scrimmage. Well, they didn't want any of their scholarship defensive tackles just to get run over in this drill. So they put me in there just to get trapped sideways for like five straight minutes, uh-huh. which might not seem like much, although they were trying to run a snap about every 20 seconds. And so I had to come That's across the line, get knocked over by a 300-pound guard, and then get back up and and uh, get back down in my three-point stance as a defensive tackle So because the next guard was already in place, ready to come and just smash me. So that was my college experience as a – as a scout team walk-on, but well, I love well, I'm, I'm sure you didn't care about getting hurt either. I mean, I, I, could, I didn't think about it. I, I'll tell you this. I used to pop Tylenol before practice because before. of how banged up I knew I was going to be by the end of practice. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about getting hurt, and I never suffered any really, really bad injury. I broke, broke my finger sideways one time, and, and – uh, Got my shoulder ripped up a little bit, but not nothing that put me out for an extremely long period of time. And even when I did get banged up, I wasn't going to show it because I thought, man, if I, as a scrub walk on, yeah, I, if if I said, hey, I'm hurt, I got to sit out for a while, they'd be like, oh, you need to sit out, okay, go to your dorm room and and don't That's come right. back. So yeah. yeah, you got something to prove. Yeah, for sure. I like how you mentioned too. Uh, it's like Rudy without the sack at the end, and I can just imagine if they made like a, a movie about a long snapper in the same vein as Rudy. Like his shining moment is like snapping the ball for like the game-winning field goal. Sure, exactly. Like that, and yeah. I never had it, Aaron. I never got it. I never got it, and it, it didn't matter to me so much that I never had that moment. I mean, I worked hard. I tried to get the most out of the ability that I had, and. 
I don't have any regrets. And and they could have like thrown me in a game and just been like, oh, okay, you know, whatever, just like a like a pity rep or something like that. But that's not what I was going for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say, yeah, you know, I finally got into it and I played in the Division One game. It would have been great, right? It would have been great. But but what I was really going for is I wanted to try and develop myself into the player that the coaches would say, you know, the best chance we have at winning this football game is putting Hanson in the game. That's what I wanted to get to. And I never got to that level. So I really don't have any, I don't have any regrets about it. And um, the lack of becoming that type of a player in college fuels me to this day as a sportscaster. I want the executives at NFL Network or wherever I work, I want the executives, the decision makers to say, the best chance for this show to be great is if we have Hanson hosting it. I want that. And uh, yeah, that kind of that, that those type of characteristics and discipline from my football background have carried into my professional career 20, 30 years later. But it's good that you're smart about it, right? Because you can go, you know, head on into the wall, but not really have any clear sense of direction. But in your case, you know, you realize that long snapping is sort of a specialty and that was your kind of segue onto the team or your opportunity. And, yep. I, you know, long snapping is kind of an art of football that no one really gives much to think about. You know, how you snap for a punt is going to be different, how you snap for an extra point, how you snap for a longer field goal. So for yep. you to kind of have the wherewithal to realize, okay, maybe I could go this avenue and really try to achieve what I'm looking for. That just shows that you have a plan, not that you're just, that you have drive. Yeah, but you want a plan to go with it or else you're just kind of sure. going in every which direction. It was my in to showing that that I I could be a part of this big time division one program. And Syracuse, look at it's still, you know, they're a member of the ACC now. We were independent when I started, then became a member of the Big East. And but I mean Syracuse football, if you like today it, it's not necessarily considered one of the top a regular top 25 school. We were in the top 25. We were a ranked team playing in bowl games every single year that I was there. We finished fifth in the country my senior year. Played in the Fiesta Bowl, and we beat Colorado back when Colorado had the the machine that they had going uh, in their old Big 8 days. Did you uh, play Cord- Cordell Stewart? Cordell Stewart. So the team that we played and beat, this was the 1990. Uh, it was January 1, 1993. So it was the 1992 regular season. Mm-hmm. I would need to look back up on their roster. But the Colorado team we beat, they had – he wasn't a starter, but I think Cordell Stewart was a, a backup quarterback on that team. The starting quarterback, I'm pretty sure, was was Coy Detmer, right? Ty Detmer, the Heisman Trophy winner's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had – both their wide receivers went – went to the pros. Their tight end was uh, Christian Fourier, I think, who went to the pros. They had one or two offensive linemen that went to the league, and then they had like six defensive starters that went to the league. They were a stacked lineup. I even think Eric Bieniemy may have been been on that team as a backup. I think Rashawn Salam, who won the Heisman Trophy running back, was was on that team as well. Oh, they were stacked. Anyway, so my point was that like not only was I at a big time division one university at Syracuse and getting the best sports broadcasting education I could get Syracuse football was elite at that time. 
And so it gave me just such a sense of confidence and pride that I was even a small part of it, but that I was a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So to segue to your broadcasting career, who were some of the the broadcasters that you remember growing up that kind of inspired you to go in that direction? Like who were some of the guys on TV that you were watching, talking about sports and you felt that you could do the same thing? Yeah, I'll give you a few different ones. Um, well, first of all, just about anybody on television was an inspiration to me because I looked and I was like, they're there. What They did whatever they had to do to get to that moment where somebody said, you know what, Joe Johnson, we're going to fly you to the game. You're going to call the game. We're going to pay you money to do it and all that. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm thinking that's, that's dream. That's, that's, that's Nirvana. Right. Yeah. Uh, but specifically I'll give you, I'll give you a, a national name, a, uh, a national name. I'll give you a state name and then a local name that I grew up and that were influences on me. One was the national name was Bob Costas. Now, Bob was a, uh, a Syracuse grad and he became an inspiration because he like Syracuse or his Syracuse background was one of the reasons I chose Syracuse. And again, I grew up in Michigan, so there weren't a lot of kids from, there was no one from my high school that went to Syracuse. Like uh, there were very few people from Michigan that I had heard of that, that went to Syracuse, but I heard that he had gone there and he was just the, in the, in the eighties, when I was growing up, he was the new, you know, fresh faced, but razor sharp, wonder kid sportscaster and I'm like if he went there that's where I want to go he was on network tv by the time he was like 28 years old I was like I'm gonna make it at 27 years old you know that type of thing foolishness on my part but nonetheless a goal Costas was was so brilliant on the air and still is I mean he's semi-retired mostly retired now but just just an amazing broadcaster and I always loved when he was calling an event or hosting an event because he made it feel so big um uh, a, a, a state name a guy named Bob Eufer and Bob, uh, uh, Bob Euchre, excuse me, not to be confused with, with Eufer from, from baseball fame, but Bob Euchre was the Michigan play-by-play guy on the radio. And he was the ultimate college football homer. You know, you hear these guys in the SEC and whatnot that have been calling games for 35 years. And they're like, we stepped on their nose with a hobnail boot and and all that type of stuff. That's the way Bob Euchre was. And he he was um, just remarkable at like making you feel like there is nothing else going on in the universe other than Michigan football. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I keep saying Euchre, it's Eufer, and I'm not to be confused with the Milwaukee broadcast the Milwaukee Brewers longtime broadcaster. But anyway, so so uh I listened to him and that's I would see my dad react when he would call a, a big game and whatnot. Not every game was on TV back then, so we had to listen to some on the radio. Mm-hmm. And he was just he was special. I would encourage any of your viewers to to YouTube him and see some of his old Michigan Wolverine calls of the great Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes battles. He would lose his mind and he was a total Homer, but he made no apologies about it. And then a local guy uh, by the name of Don Shane, Don Shane was uh, the, the ABC television in Detroit. He was the broadcaster for a long period of time on the six o'clock and 11 o'clock news. And Mm. Don had a great way in a three minute sports cast to be enthusiastic, knowledgeable, comprehensive, 
and just he was so polished on the air. And I ended up interning when I was in college. I interned for Don Shane at WXYZ, the ABC TV station in Detroit. And I got to watch him behind the scenes. And my job as an intern would be logging a game. I'd be logging a Detroit Pistons game or whatever. And it would be like, okay, you know, John Sally with a, with a two-handed dunk on a fast break or whatever. And Don would be sitting there in the sports department and he'd react to the dunk the way we'd all react to it. And then he'd go on two or three hours later on the 11 o'clock news and do that highlight. And he could manufacture the same reaction that he had live when we were sitting there in the sports department as, as he was live on the air talking to hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. And I always thought, wow, that's a great skill. And I learned a lot about, about the professionalism of the business and the, and the performance art of the business from, from Don Shane. So those, some of your viewers might not know those names, but those are, those are some of my influences. But see, I'm glad you brought up all three of them because I think it explains a lot about you as the host of Red Zone. Because what I really enjoy about it is you have this very buttoned up demeanor in your delivery, but you have a lot of enthusiasm too. And not everybody can pull that off. You know, it's like some broadcasters, if they're doing play by play, for instance, there'll be a big play and they'll just go crazy. And it kind of takes away from it. And even if you're in a studio show, if you're doing a roundtable or just an interview, sometimes, you know, the conversation can get derailed when the emotions get too heavy. But you have like this ability to make it seem seamless and make it seem engaging, but also seem like you're not taking anything away. So I'm curious if this is something that you have always tried to incorporate into your profession or is, if this is something that is just cultivated over time as you've gotten more comfortable being in front of the camera, being in the business. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think I would answer it this way. I think I skewed early in my career to over enthusiastic, maybe like the guy who just screams about everything, like third and eight, and there's a nine yard pass for a first down. Oh, that's some, you know, it's first quarter. I had to temper that a bit because great sportscasters to me, first of all, they are about the event and the audience. They're not about themselves. And and that is becoming more and more rare in today's world of everybody wants to be a show-off. Everybody wants to come up with the next great sports center catchphrase or whatever. And some of it is, is forced, it seems. So I think a great sportscaster needs to be focused on the audience and the event, which you would say, of course, but not focused on themselves, like, how am I going to come across if I say, you know, baba booey or whatever, you know, on, on some kind of a, a home run call or something. But you need to be able to hit the high notes when the action presents itself. So if I do get a Derrick Henry 35-yard walk-off touchdown run in overtime where he bowls over two or three defenders – you got to be able to hit that. You, you, you need to have your enthusiasm and your voice and your focus match the moment. So I try to be tempered when I have to and then let it rip, man. This, this isn't brain surgery. It's not, it's not international, you know, tense, you know, uh, war negotiations or something. This is the toy department of life. It's very serious business. We all take our football very serious, but it's still, it's fun. It's entertainment and allow yourself to get caught up in those moments a little bit, but hopefully still in a professional way. And so if there's any young sportscasters out there that are listening to this, I would just say this, 
uh, an old pastor of mine used to say occasionally on Sundays, he's like, I'd rather calm down a zealot than warm up a corpse. So in other words, if you're going to err on one side, err on the side of enthusiasm. Because right. if you have no enthusiasm, if you're just like you think you're Walter Cronkite out there broadcasting. I'm not saying Walter Cronkite didn't have enthusiasm. But I mean, if you have like a monotone, like that is my delivery and here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm never going to sound like, oh, did you see that? Because that's beneath me and whatnot. It's, it's, it's hard to warm up a corpse. If you're right. super enthusiastic about the game, the event your show, whatever it is, you, you can be enthusiastic about it. And then you can temper yourself through the course of months and years of, of being in the business to say, okay, not everything is the greatest thing you've ever seen, but at least you have that enthusiasm that you can be able to tap into. I hope that makes some sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I started the question about having over-enthusiastic sportscasters, but you can definitely have the complete reciprocal of that where someone just has no pulse whatsoever. And then you're just kind yeah. of like, why are you doing this job? You know, because it just doesn't feel like you're even interested in what you're I agree. Doing. And there are a couple big names uh, that would fall under that category. And I always, and I'm not going to name them, but I always wonder, I'm like, don't you, like, you get paid a lot of money and you're there at the event. Like, and, and it's not like, oh, I should do this for money, but like, don't you still have that boyish or girlish for the females enthusiasm about the game, about the event, about the dramatic moment? And granted, not every game you're going to call some, if you're a play-by-play person, you're going to call 35 nothing blowout games that really don't have much drama. But when you get those moments, how can't you let your personality is the one that is the prism through which the audience is experiencing this. Can't you let yourself get caught up in it? I, I you know, it's I try not to well, be critical of others in, in my business, but I've always wondered that it's like, wow, aren't you fired up? You just, we just well, had like a- even, even when you listen to like some of the older guys, like, I mean, I'll watch some old football games. And I listen to a guy like Kurt Gowdy. It's incredible how the guy, he does have like this sort of stoic voice when he's narrating a game or doing play by play, but he's even able to give like some jolts that he really enjoys when he sees a good play. You know, it's still very disciplined, but he at least shows that he's really paying attention to the game and he's letting it impact him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kirk Gowdy, there are some, uh, some of his contemporaries would fall into the other category where it was like, wow. Yeah. This person was monotone and they kind of stayed monotone the whole time. It doesn't mean that they're not, you know, good technical broadcasters. I just think, I think for a lot of fans, and I put myself in this category as well, when I'm watching at my house, some, some game that I'm interested in, I want the play by play person to take me along on that emotional ride. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I yeah. want like, I can freak out in my living room over a, let's just use a basketball game, like a three pointer at the buzzer or whatever. But I want that, I want that person who's there to be like, I want to feel like I watched it with them to a degree. And as long as it's authentic, I'm, I'm all good with it. Uh, I can tell you this, people who watch NFL red zone are getting the authentic Scott Hansen. Yeah, I can tell right now. (laughs) Thanks. I don't, I, I don't know you personally, obviously, but from this conversation, it feels like I'm kind of like in the middle of like a red zone right now. Yeah. I have buddies but, that are like, Scott, you talk like that all the time. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm not trying to. I mean, I try to be articulate in my conversational English, but 
I also believe in having passion and enthusiasm in my life, right? You, yeah, you, you requested that I appeared on your program here. And so I said, yes, well, I'm going to give you the best 20 minutes that I've got, right? I think you deserve that. I, I believe in the golden rule. So I want to do unto others as I would want them to do unto me if the roles were reversed. So like I, I try to have some passion and enthusiasm and maybe that sounds like I'm broadcasting everything. I don't know, but, but if, if that's the worst people can say, so be it. So can you take me through the development and uh, how you ultimately became the host of Red Zone and kind of what that process was like? Um, yeah. So I, uh, I was working at NFL Network as a roving reporter. So they would fly mm-hmm. me to a practice to go to a practice report like middle of the week. And then they'd fly me to a game on Sunday to go report from the sidelines pregame and postgame. And so they already were familiar with my level of football knowledge, my enthusiasm for the game. When we started NFL Red Zone, it was in the summer I heard a rumor that we were going to start this thing called NFL Red Zone that was going to show every touchdown from every game, no commercials, go every Sunday. I was like, I want to be a part of that. And I called up the talent coordinator from NFL Network and I said, hey, who you got to host this thing? And he said, well, we're looking at different people. I said, is my name on the list? He said, yeah. I said, okay, what do I got to do to throw my hat in the ring. And I did an audition. They kind of did a hybrid audition. It was in the summer. There were no games going on. So they took eight games from a random week from the season before, queued up eight games to the kickoff, hit play simultaneously on those eight machines and said, talk, basically. And and I was in a studio watching all eight monitors. And, you know, I, I managed my way through that. They thought they saw enough, I guess, Football intelligence, uh, enthusiasm, focus on multiple sources of stimulus coming in that they said, hey, I think Hanson can handle it. They named me the host, and uh, I guess they say the rest is history. Now, to this day, how do you actually go about rehearsing for something like Red Zone? Because, I mean, obviously you'll have producers that you speak with to get down storylines and statistics, but do you do any sort of rehearsal throughout the week um, or anything like that, or is it now just second nature to you? Uh, no, not not during the week. There's no real rehearsal. I mean, my rehearsal is going through stacks and stacks of notes to saturate my mind with any of the different storylines or facts, stats, uh, anything that I might be talking about on Sunday, I want to be prepared for on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to game day Sunday. Uh, so no, no, no real rehearsal. I mean, at this point, we're all pretty comfortable with our jobs. We do get new people on staff behind the scenes occasionally. So we will do like a preseason red zone. We didn't do one last year because there was no preseason because of the pandemic, but we'll probably do another one this year. Assuming that we play preseason games, we'll take one night when there's like six preseason games going on at the same time and we'll go in there and do it. Sometimes we put that on television. Sometimes we don't, we just use it for ourselves, but, uh, we're like a, we're like a, a football team that's played together for a while. Everybody kind of knows their jobs, and you might need to knock off the rust in week one or week two, but we get into the flow pretty quick. And like in the beginning stages, did you ever kind of like watch yourself, like not the entire seven hours, but did you ever watch portions maybe to figure out what you need to work on in terms of pacing or in terms of maybe narrate at this time, pull back a little bit at this point? Yeah, because – uh, even though people, I, I, most people seem to like me as the host and I'm thankful for that. There are still people who are like, don't you ever talk when the action is going on? Like, and you can't listen to everybody on social media, but 
about the only time I try and talk when there's a game going on is if we cut to a game right in the middle of a play, I'll pick up the play-by-play as if, you know, we just flipped on the remote control. Or if we're in a double or triple box. And the reason I do it when we're in a double or triple is unless the game is staggered where this team is, the quarterback is under center and we know he's going to take the snap any second. And then this game and this side of the double box is they're just breaking the huddle. We know that team is not taking a snap for another 15 seconds, probably at least. And this one's about ready to go. We can bounce the audio back and forth, but if they're both at the line of scrimmage, both set up on offense, ready to go. I'm going to call them simultaneously because we can't just mix the audio. It would sound all jumbled. So right. I'll be like, Matt Ryan takes the snap on the left. Russell Wilson takes the snap on the right. And two different games and try and call them there. But you got to pick and choose your spots because you don't, even though I'm the solo host for seven hours, you don't want to overwhelm the audience and take away from their enjoyment of the play-by-play folks that are there in the stadium. And I'm curious about this because after Red Zone had launched, you were you gave an interview to a newspaper about how Red Zone as a format is kind of like jazz, where you know you're having like a lot of different instruments, but you're not exactly sure how it's all going to sound until you play it live. And I'm curious, being that Red Zone is an experimental format, if you could push the envelope with something and you could maybe add in a couple of new wrinkles to Red Zone that maybe you can't do right now because of like technological constraints or broadcast regulations or what have you what would you like to try to do yeah that's a good question um we've started to incorporate different things that i had hoped that we could get to uh one thing that i i I like is we've started to use win probabilities more now i got this idea from watching like the world series of poker when whatever the guy's got pocket kings against an ace four and when the flop comes out they put up the you know Joe has a 65% chance at winning this hand and Bill has a 35% chance. Well, that's really interesting because it's pure math, right? There's only 52 cards in a deck. We've been using those, hey, the Dallas Cowboys only have a 4% chance at winning this game right now, but they've got the ball and there's, you know, whatever, whatever the score is, how much time it is, just to give people a sense of like how ridiculous a comeback this would be. Our win probabilities are based on based it's not empirical because anything can happen this is a live football game it's not like oh there's only so many cards that can be turned over in a texas hold'em hand but in football we use data from thousands of games to say if a team is down 13 points at the one minute 55 second mark of the fourth quarter and they have no timeouts this is the odds of them winning the game this is the percentage of a chance based upon the thousands of games thousands of scenarios we've seen that are similar for them to win the game. So I like I like that we incorporated that. Uh, I'd also like to see us, um, uh, when we go double box or maybe even triple box and we use individual game audio, I'd like to show which, which game has the audio on. Fans have been asking for that, but technologically they tell me there's a, like some kind of a wrinkle in there and I don't know all of the computer terminology for it, but we haven't been able to do that just yet. Uh, and then another aspect of it that might come along someday is uh, the concept of incorporating point spreads in our coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the NFL to this point does not have open, you know, the NFL does not endorse gambling and whatnot. But I think that there is more of a, it, it's going to become the law of the land as more states pass legalized sports gambling laws. And if indeed it, the floodgates open and it's a part of, a part of 
sports culture in, in a legal, open way, uh, we might talk about, okay, we wouldn't be on this game that's 21-7 to right now because it's a two-touchdown lead. But if so-and-so scores a touchdown here, the point spread was eight, and that would make it a seven-point game, and that would be a bad beat, right? Right, yeah. That would add another level of drama to some of the games that we already know who's going to win that game, but we don't necessarily know who's going to win which side of a wager in that. Yeah. That, that could be. That could be fun, but we're we're not there yet because the NFL has not uh, embraced that aspect of of the game, and and may never. We we don't know, but if it happens, we'll be we'll be ready to do it. Yeah, only time will tell. Yeah. Well, the, the last question I have is, if you could go back to two thousand nine, uh, like as Scott Hansen today, and go back to two thousand nine and give yourself some advice right before the debut of Red Zone, what would you? Uh, what words of wisdom would you give? Hmm. I'd probably say, I'd probably say I'd mix a sports metaphor and I would say, Scott, you're trying to be perfect, but you're not going to be perfect, but make your free throw percentage 98, 99%. What I mean by that is again, to mix a sports metaphor. I give out hundreds, if not thousands, of tidbits, facts, stats during an average seven-hour red zone. I want every one of those to be absolutely accurate, whether it's a name, the score, a stat, some history of the game, whatever it is. I'm not going to be. I might say Aaron Rodgers threw 35 touchdowns last year, and he actually threw 34. Okay, I'm not perfect. I won't be. I'm shooting for perfection. So I would tell myself back when it began, shoot for perfection, but be okay if your free throw percentage is 98 or 99%. Because if you beat yourself up over the one, you might it might detract from the rest of your performance and the rest of the show. And that only comes with maturity. And now hopefully after 12 years, I've, I've got that and, and the process continues. Yeah, well, it's like what we said earlier about when you were playing college, just trying to drive yourself to be that Division One athlete. So it's like you apply it to sports casting for sure. Scott, this was a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoy Red Zone. Keep up the great work, and really, thank you again. This was so much fun for me. All right, Aaron, take care, and we'll see you in September.